the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 105, recorded Friday, August 23rd, 2013. Give me 3D in my OLED. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host for the day. Thank you so much for joining us, listening, downloading, streaming, whatever it is that you're doing uh, to listen to this fine podcast. Uh, with us this week, uh, bright and early off of the plane uh, this morning from parts probably Wisconsin, if I had to guess. His name is Michael Drainer. He is the area sales manager. <laughs> For integrated Systems for Sennheiser USA. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Hailed from seat 24D. I pulled one from Bradford Ben there in his famous tweets. I should learn your title eventually. <laughs> uh, speaking of Bradford Ben, Bradford is the business developer of electronic systems for Harman. How are you, sir? I'm doing okay. I feel so so plain since I don't have a seat this week. Oh, you know, I'll, I'll tweet one next week when I'm driving. There you go. From okay, Never mind. Uh, we have two newbies, so you two gentlemen, please be nice to them. Uh, the first one is Mark Zekin. Mark is from Wirestorm. He's the national sales manager for Pro AV. How are you, sir? I'm good, thank you. Absolutely. And uh, last but not least, uh, my favorite person on this show this week, simply because I love his phones. I've had them for years. Uh, his name is Michael Halloran. He is the Samsung product market manager for large displays. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing well. And I'm not kidding about the, the Samsung cell phone stuff. Sh- should we tell them now that you're using iPad and I got my iPhone? and Yes, but I still have I, I have my Galaxy S4. Oh, so you cheap. I'm not cheap. I'm I kidding. like it. I'm kidding. Leave me alone. <laughs> it's good right, stuff. This good week, stuff. Uh, this week we're going to talk about, actually, Samsung. Um, there's a couple of stories. One was about one of your curved displays, which is kind of cool. Um, also, I'm going to talk a little bit. About Crestron and wireless control, because I don't know about it. It's because there's not enough of it around in the world. No, it's it's not that. It's it's what they're trying to do with it. It's you know we'll, we'll get RS two thirty two. Yeah, well, and relay, and it's weird. Um, and Lutron talking about dimmable LEDs because nobody likes you know whatever. Uh, in a month from now, Cedia braces and heads to the great uh, mountains of Denver, Colorado. Uh, at the uh, on the AV Network blog this week, um, David King <laughs> brings up a, a good, uh, just a good old fashioned fight, 4K versus OLED, and he says that the the fight is on the horizon. Uh, actually, he uses the word skirmish, um, which yeah, it's a fun word. So here's the question, um, and this is my two cents, and uh, you know this again, I, I'm I'm uh, I, I'm the non manufacturer on the show this week. I don't see 4K versus OLED as a fight, but that's just me. Um, w- but we're going to take it to the to the display guy first, Michael. Um, what sort of 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 co- not controversy, but what what sort of of battle do we have here? Uh, are we are we really pitting 4K versus OLED? 
Oh, I don't think so. Um, you know, <clears throat> first, I just think it's exciting when the market starts to talk about the new technology that's coming out. Uh, this, I think, it, it, it harks a little bit back to beta VHS and Blu-ray and HD DVD. Um, you know, obviously, the technologies have been in development for quite some time. And with the two different lines coming out and being available in the consumer space, um, I think there's lots of enthusiasts for technology and video files that will get on one bandwagon or the other and ultimately we'll we'll see which one uh, the marketplace chooses just like the products I mentioned out front we talked with Gary Yakubian good lord in December of last year he made the comment uh, and I don't sorry I shouldn't say Gary we had Gary on with a couple other people from from the the CES area um, and I want to say it was Gary that said this he actually likened and, and linked the two together so instead of pitting them against each other he actually said that the success of one is probably going to be tied to the success of the other. Is there, is there any weight to that? I would think so. Um, you know, the, uh, <clears throat> the adage that a rising tide lifts all ships. You know, if the marketplace starts to adopt uh, more costly display solutions uh, that you know, work with the technologies that are available out there from our set-top boxes and our Blu-ray plugs, as well as what might start to bring us the higher resolution for 4K. Um, I think that if there's options to buy better displays for the home, again, it's that choice of which one you'd like to have. No, no that's true. That's true. Mark, when it comes to uh, 4K and OLED, when it comes to um, you guys do a lot with HD Base T, uh, that's what Wirestorm does. Is this something that you're you're having to watch, or is is HD Base T already there? Are you guys ready for 4K? I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I was baptized in the commercial pro, you know, display business. So um, one thing that's interesting is, um, you know, again, I, I come from the commercial side of the business, so I'm not speaking for our residential folks. Mm -hmm. But um, on the HDBHT side, you know, the, the OLED is interesting to me because of you know, power consumption. So... Let's get that power consumption down. Let's get it to 100 watts. Let's get the screen as large as possible so that we can use the full capability of HD based D. I've been trying to do that for, you know, hoping for that for 30 years when I was a projector designer. <laughs> Going to these elaborate, you know, conference rooms and boardrooms, you know, with wood that came from rainforests, uh, you know, and uh, look up and see this albatross cables. Mm -hmm. So um, that is interesting to me. The 4K side of things, um, you know, Detroit wants 4K. Um, the military wants 4K. Uh, as far as the, the consumers, I know Best Buy is carrying 4K now. I'm not exactly sure uh, what you know, on the residential side what they're watching for, but definitely there's application in commercial industries. Yeah, absolutely. Bradford, when it comes to 4K, are you as excited about it as you are 3D? I'm more excited about 4K than 3D because that was a loaded question. <laughs> what 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 has me so disappointed is I was is I'm is I'm waiting until we talk about the next display where we're talking about I have something saved up for that. So the curve, okay. The curved display. Okay. I got something saved up all for right, that one with right. 3D. But I am I I do agree with uh with Mark and Michael a bunch of there is a lot of advantages to it. I don't think it's a battle of 4K versus OLED. Because it's kind of like comparing paper versus pencil. You need both. Yeah. You know. You know what I mean? It's yes, it's a different display technology. Yes, there are companies out there who have prototypes available that do both. So I think getting the two, the two aren't battling each other. They're complementary technologies. I think 4K 
for industrial and commercial applications for command and control centers makes a whole lot of sense. Now that I'm starting to get used to the higher resolution with retina displays on Macs, I'm seeing the 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 difference that a higher density and a higher image quality can do. I do think the challenge for the home market is getting content. Uh, I also think that the cable and broadband and broadband providers are going to find it a challenge to get that good content to the set set top box and not have you know as many artifacts in terms of compression and still getting a good 4K image. But I do see it having having some valid the the energy efficiency of the of the OLED, I think it makes a lot of sense, but I'm not sure if when people are going out and plunking down 10 grand on a TV that they're thinking about $100 versus $500 in power just because I don't, I don't think anyone else does, but I could be wrong. Oh, that, that, so, that might be valid, actually. You know, they're not thinking about the, the long-term consumption cost because, let's be honest, a lot of us don't think about that unless they're looking at the little energy sticker uh, when they buy the refrigerator. Now, I do say for the commercial environment, that's a much bigger deal. You know, people are thinking about it practically. Here at home, I think people aren't as involved in thinking about it because they just think, my air conditioner costs me more than anything else. What's the rest of this do? <laughs> That's true. But I do think that the big challenge is, as we've always talked about, you got to have content to drive someone home to to see it. You know what I mean? To, to spend that money at home. For the commercial market, it's a, it's a, good, it's a good win. Mike, I know you were expecting a bigger rant. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You're fine. You're fine. You, you'll save your rant for your 3D. Uh, yeah. Mr. Draney, you're, you not only you work for Sennheiser now, but you're, you got a history in broadcast. And you and I have you've you've schooled me for a lot of years on trying to get high high bandwidth down uh, satellite lines and down cable lines. Bradford brought up a very good point about the content for for 4K. Where are we going to get this? Unless it's it is really just a a, a version of Blu-ray that can do 4K. I mean, that's a, that's a very valid point. And, and my question is, where are we at on the development of the advanced compression algorithms to be able to s facilitate this delivery? You know, in the commercial space, it's a little bit different environment. A lot of times you're generating that content on site, with its, uh, whether it's command and control, you're doing composite type uh, imaging and, and uh, multi-window display graphics, things along those lines. Uh, but in the residential space, it's a whole different animal. And delivering that high resolution in the bandwidth that we currently have available in the existing infrastructure and do it reliably and well, that, that to me is going to be the, the uh, challenge in the foreseeable future. Now, obviously, carriers and service providers are always working to improve the next best, greatest thing. I just haven't seen it yet. So I'm anxious to see where that goes. Okay. I mean, I, I'm I'm excited about OLEDs. Yeah. I mean, but I, I do think Mr. Drainer brought up a good point. It's the next generation compression because if someone's spending that much on a big TV, they're going to want good good media, and I think that there's some computing horsepower that needs to catch up mm -hmm. to make that good compression worthwhile and fast enough that people can uh, can deal with it. You know, if it's a five minute lag on a baseball game. It's not acceptable. It's a five-second lag. It's acceptable. Okay, so so again, educate me here, guys, because my whole understanding is, if you're if you're looking at a cable box or a satellite box, you're not getting 1080p. I mean, yeah, it might be you know compressed and then maybe up converted. Well, once. let me let's let's clarify something though. When we're talking compression, we're not talking resolution. 
okay. 1080p is resolution. Okay. It's, it's resolution and refresh and all the things that yes. go into yes, displaying the picture. Yeah. That has nothing to do with the compression rate and how we're dealing with the color saturation and the and the uh, um, how we're we're sampling the motion and the imaging and things like that so that we can conserve bandwidth in the transmission phase. Okay. So that that's really where the limitation is that I see at this standpoint. Now, our friends at Samsung, have you guys seen anything uh, coming down the pipe that's going to help facilitate this a little bit better? Well, <clears throat> I have not myself with uh, the limited spoke scope that I have on the products that I support. Um, if we um, maybe we recommend that <laughs> we invite one of the folks from our set top box team to join in the near future to see if they might be able to speak to that a little bit better. No, that would be really good. And it, and it kind of goes into the you know what Mark's doing with the HD base T stuff because in, in last week's show. We were talking about the the home distribution and what's happening in the yeah, residential 2.0. market mm -hmm. with HD Base T 2.0, and how the service providers are going to potentially start rolling this out from the set top box to in home distribution, and then we're going to have the, the um, local satellite company or cable company deploying the home AV solution. It, you know that's great if we can facilitate that on the HD Base T side, but boy, we really need that transport mechanism to get it to the home prem. Yeah, absolutely. And transport's the key for anything. You know, even once you get it into the house, getting it around your house, all that fun stuff. If if it's not easy, if it takes a smart person like Tim to do it, you know. <laughs> you you, you might be in trouble. Case, you might be in trouble. Then, you know, is it going to be adopted? You know, for better or for worse, you look at how, how well adopted Apple TV is and TiVo. It's because it's easy, not because it's, it's necessarily the best picture quality. Yeah, I was at NAB this year, and I thought it was interesting. It was the, um, the origination for 4K. I mean, that was what the show was all about. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the prices for for the, you know, the camera, the camera costs are just plummeting. Well, and, and that's just native origination, right? So that's right, doing native, right. native bandwidth, native origination, native bit rates. Now we get into the delivery. Boy, I mean, I remember we were doing satellite uplinks, and, you know, this was not that awful long ago. With HD video, you know, we're pushing it down at 20 megasecond um, in, in master control, but then trying to squeeze that down to 4 megasecond. And, you know, we had really good algorithms, but, boy, it just didn't look the same coming out of master control um, versus the sat feed. So, I, you know, I think that people are making these big investments and they like what they see, but I think it's up to the manufacturing community and the service providers to make sure that we're able to deliver as real of an experience as possible to support that. No, that's that's valid. Um, moving on, and we're going to keep on displays for a second here. Uh, from HDTV Magazine, Samsung, or actually, the, I should use the whole the uh, the whole uh, title line. Uh, guess what, LG? Samsung's got a fifty-five inch curved OLED too. <laughs> so, shouldn't that be also? I, I didn't write well. it. Don't stop. You know what? This is not an English show. <laughs> <laughs> that was Jeez. that one was for Linda. It was a Partisan. Oh, oh, I miss Linda. Yeah, she was great. Yeah. Um, so, Michael, <laughs> you guys have a curved OLED. Um, as well. As well. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> Bradford Ben. Um, the first question, I, I guess, and it's the same one that I asked LG when, when we started talking to them about it, is why? Well, that is a great question. Um, and again, <laughs> I learned a lot about the developments from the consumer electronics side the same way that just about everybody else does. 
Um, and then I wait a year or two for them to become commercially hardened gotcha. and transferred into a commercial lineup that I then get to start to represent and know the ins and outs of. Um, from a little bit of my previous life, um, which was in um, residential AV home theater design, um, there was some screen technologies that were starting to come out with that curve because from the perspective of where you sit, uh, you have a better view of the curved screen and then you do the flat rectangle uh, fixed to the wall. So real quickly, I, I, I apologize because I, I don't mean to keep kidding you with, with, with uh, residential stuff. Uh, is this something that you could see being used in a commercial application then? Um, I think what we might see would be a commercial availability of OLED, but I don't think the curve would come with that. Okay. Just because the broad deployment of the products are in digital signage and in, in visual communications. And, um, I, you know, the there's even ADA compliances that we struggle to meet with some of our previous CCFL model displays, which is where we, we go now with our edge lit. Uh, so to have something that intentionally curves from the wall, I don't see it being a, a great commercial fit personally. What sort of ADA problems do you have with, with the display? I'm sorry. Um, well, the depending... It, you ha the previous versions of like CCFL displays uh -huh. that could be up to four inches thick and then put onto a bracket. Um, there were ADA issues about things mounted on walls in places like hospitals uh -huh. that they were only allowed to come so far from the wall so that they wouldn't interfere with people coming down the hallways. Oh, okay. Um, so going to edge lit displays with slim profile brackets. Um, you know that that's where we're now installing in those those types of situations. That, that see, makes but, sense. See, now I disagree a little bit. I know I'm not the video guy, but I'm thinking about a command and control center where you have a 55 inch screen with you know four images on it and one person looking at it, and you want to curve it towards that person so that they don't have to turn their head as much and. I know 55 inches sitting six feet in front of you would seem nuts, but you know, 10 years ago, a 27-inch TV sitting 10 inches in front of you would seem nuts as well. So I wonder if that type of usage in the commercial environment would make sense for the curved wall so that it, it envelops you a little more, especially also for uh, simulators. Mm. Yeah, the, the curve is uh, uh, the marketing as immersive, right? They're using the word yep. immersive. Yeah. So the commercial the commercial marketplace is looking for immersive environments. There's a couple of uh, really great integrators out there. Mechdyne is one uh, in Iowa, Marshalltown, Iowa, Iowa, and they can they can create with a series of projectors a complete immersive environment. You know, cave, these caves and such. Hmm. Um, and then you know on the other side of it, in the consumer side, I remember when I was first selling panels for Sharp. I mean the the widescreen experience really doesn't start until you get to what about a 30 inch size screen and uh and someone mentioned the distance to the screen too so i think that i think that's what they're trying to get to is more of an immersive environment where you're more you know you're, you're getting that full hd um experience full you know so so can i have a in, in bradford this is one just for you my friend I want a curved OLED, OLED with 3D. I'll just come over and poke you in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. For, th for those that don't know, we, we have this great um, 
I'm not going to say a hatred, it's a but, but it's relationship a with, with 3D. 3D. Yes, we love yes. to hate it. <clears throat> yes. um, actually, Bradford, this is something where where you could actually do 3D well if it's curved. I mean, and actually, the one that had me interested was reading the article of the of the uh, the fact that it can use the shutter display to show two different images to two different people. Just like what 3D does, of one on each eye, but yep. now you can have two different people watching it. I'm just trying to figure out who gets to decide what they listen to. Well, yeah, the, but I do see we can hook them up with some multi-channel IR systems. No, not a problem. Okay, but <laughs> the uh, I'm just picturing me and my wife getting into a fight over who gets to listen to the audio, but that's a whole other debate. She but, does. Come on, don't. <laughs> Very nice. Very well no, done. Glasses that are pairing with this, uh, from what I understand, the uh, the second viewer's glasses would have a pair of earbuds to deliver the audio with it as well. Hmm, that's Very cool. Nice. I would just turn on closed captioning. But I, I think that the three. That's because that's because you're the only deaf audio guy I know. What? Jeez. Oh, <laughs> but the uh, the 3D thing, and to to be a little fair, is mainly because of with my eyesight, I don't see 3D no matter how much money they spend on it. So to me, it's just a waste of extra data, which you know I save all my electrons. I still think it's just fancy, uh, fancy uh, copy protection. Well, you, but that's and, Tim's opinion also. Well, it is. I mean, it's you and Michael have both have, I don't know if you have the same eye condition, but he has the same situation where he can't see 3D very well, right. if at all. And it's good Lord, this has been Infocom like five years ago. Mm -hmm. He and I are standing at the 3D pavilion, shoulder to shoulder, and I can see it fine and he can't see it at all. And I'm like, well, good Lord, you know, if they can't get two random people, you know, the same algorithm to, to, to affect two, two random people, you now know. I do I do think having the curved wall or the curved display gives it a better chance because mm -hmm. in theory if you're sitting in the focus of that parabola or curve your distance to the screen would be much more consistent and in theory could work better and I've seen that in a couple of theme park attractions and it does play better but I'm still not sure that it's everything that Mr. Drainer is trying to bait me into. <laughs> well, it probably isn't. I mean, you know, let's be honest. Um, but it is. You know, here's the thing. You're probably right, Bradford, when it comes to some of the commercial applications because, you know, I still remember watching war games when I was a kid. And the giant... Would you like to play a game? The giant video wall uh, right. that they had up there. I mean, that's... Granted, we've come a long way from, you know, the 1980s. Uh, and, and what was his name? Joshua. 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 Yeah. Joshua. Whopper. Yeah, very nice. Uh, all right, you're listening to AB Week. Uh, that gentleman right there, uh, his name is uh, is Bradford Ben. Michael Drainer is here in studio with me. Michael O'Halloran. Uh, he works for Samsung. He's also here. And Mark Zekin um, from Wirestorm. We're going to talk about one of our favorite, my favorite companies. I have a lot of friends at Crestron. Uh, and from time to time, they'll do some things that I just kind of shake my head at, <laughs> like the fact that they have a UFO-shaped remote control. I think that's stupid. <laughs> uh, the fact that they have, they make a big deal about shades. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around this one. So here we go. Crestron expands its wireless control with the wireless control module for IR. All right, I get that. Serial uh, and relay. Yeah, lost me. Okay. No, I see the relay more than I see the other two. I see. See, I, I understand the IR more than I do. I mean, two thirty-two is the one that kind of I'm out. 
you know, 232 is so data intensive that I don't see this thing working very well. How's it data intensive? It's ASCII characters. It says, okay, so you, but, but back and forth. Back, I mean, the way that the way that most programmers use serial is to constantly. You just got to program more efficiently. Oh, yeah, that might be true. Uh, does your does your Crestron programmer certification have an expiration date on it, Tim? Um, no, because I haven't gotten it yet. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a DMC. I'm I'm He's my college's I'm a my hack. college's hacker is what I am. But <laughs> I was going to tell tell Mr. Drainer to go in and write one on if you oh. that. <laughs> it expired. No. What's today's date? <laughs> no, but here's the thing. I'm, in all seriousness, there 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 have been guys who have and women who have coded for our college, and I've seen the, the code. That they're they one of the things that a lot of programmers do is is they use serial as some sort of ad hoc security for projectors, right? Are you on? Yes. Are you on? Yes. And so that back and forth constantly is data intensive. I mean, it's not. But, that, but you could do that with Ethernet. It's not the protocol. It's the programming. All so right. let's not throw RS-232 under the bus. Let's throw the programming under the bus that you feel you have to keep asking, are you on? Maybe they should buy a different projector. Well, maybe. Maybe they should buy a Samsung. Do you guys sell projectors? Uh, we used to. Right. We're, uh, See, I like left that one alone, Tim. I, I was uh, yeah. All right. but, but you know, they do put 232 on some of their displays. A lot of their displays. Yeah, yeah, they they do. yeah. I mean, all it's of, still available. Nice. All of them? All of your commercial stuff? All of the commercial See, displays. That's, and that's, yeah. and even they have yeah. ones that even have embedded people. windows. All right. So, Bradford, am I, besides the fact that you're going to bust my chops about, I still think that serial is data intensive. Um, is this a good idea for Crestron to keep going down this wireless control module thing? Uh, yes and no. Okay, give me the no. Uh, it's in 2.4 gigahertz, which is already starting to get full, which is why phones are going to 5 gigahertz. So, yes, it's a mesh technology, so it has some, some, some uh, hopping, for lack of a better phrase, to be able to handle the congested area. I see that for homes, especially for existing homes where you want to refit, doing it wirelessly is a whole lot better than doing it wired and a lot faster to install. Uh, so I see the logic of doing it all via RF. The fact that it's, you know, only they're saying only about 150 feet. Uh, you can still probably cover a house and put repeaters in. I'll be the first to admit I don't know the whole INET family. But I do see the logic to it. The fact that Crestron is still supporting infrared and RS-232 instead of pushing to move to the next level of Ethernet controllers, you know, USB or Ethernet or FlugalNet, whatever the next one is. I think that's the bigger miss for me. Of And I realize that there's a certain amount of it's Ethernet. You can run it wirelessly already. So this is a Band-Aid. But I think the idea of we should be pushing more and more people to go to a more robust uh, platform rather than RS-232 because good luck finding a laptop with RS-232. No now, kidding. In terms of the relays, that makes perfect sense for me for a screen up and down, a simple command system okay. where it's not changing data. It's an on or an off. Relays make perfect sense. Why make something complex if you don't need to? So I see a lot of the logic. I just wish that... Crestron helped move away from RS-232 and IR because just like just like you said, Tim, it can get intensive 
especially with IR, where it's just a power command. You're not saying turn on, you're saying change power state. Mm-hmm. So you have to query it first, see if it's on, then send the command to turn turn on, hope that it's on, then all that stuff like you were alluding to. But I do see the whole idea of doing a, a wireless control system makes perfect sense to me. It's what I'm doing with my Apple stuff. You know, I'm just doing it differently than Crestron. I think the whole idea makes sense. I think where it's going to start to fall down is in the commercial environment. This is truly a home piece uh, because trying to get that into a commercial environment where you're going to have multiple rooms next to each other and those types of things, I think, is where it's going to get into a little bit of problems. And you don't think the mesh network part would would help alleviate some of that, or is that? I just think you're going to run out of device. And like I said, I'm not 9Net guru. I just think that putting that many devices and that much wireless all together, the latency, even though it is mesh, would still give you some issues. But in a commercial environment, I'm still a big proponent of plugging as much as you can and go wireless only on portable devices. Hmm. Okay, that, that's valid. Mr. Mr. Sennheiser, Mr. Wireless, um, is Bradford, uh, not Bradford. Not the same wireless, but close enough. It's wireless. You know, it's all RF black magic. Um, you, next, you're going to say that TV is the same whether it's black or white, you know, oh, or, yeah. or color. You know, there is a difference there. Well, yeah, so. one's in color and one's in black and white. And one's at 59.97. Oh, yes, uh, <laughs> He said nothing about the frame rate. Um, so moving, he's right. The wireless spectrum is getting kind of congested. Is. is this is this a concern for for Crestron, and should they have maybe moved to a different uh, different frequency? I think it's a concern for anybody who wants to do anything in the two four space. Uh, what we're seeing is a lot of manufacturers are moving up into the five gigahertz spectrum. They're looking for other alternatives. And um, quite honestly, it's it's really a matter of how much are you trying to future-proof yourself. I venture to say that they're hedging their bets on the fact that they're going to see a lot of this traffic move out of 2.4 to 5.8, and they're hoping it's going to clear up a little space uh, for their technology. Now, that may not be the case, but that's that's just my initial thoughts on it. My big question, though, is why develop your own new mesh network? Why can't you put your efforts into developing something that rides on the existing infrastructure that's already there you know i've got to have new ap's i got to have new transmitters new receivers everything why can't i leverage the existing wi-fi network operate at layer two keep the latency low you know in the home network i don't need fast acknowledgement of information from devices this one i almost know okay go for it please understand because because i've been i've been struggling with this one for a little while And, and if anybody else has some information on this please help because you know i'm looking at like we already have the infrastructure in place Use it. But part of it is that as much as we like to say that Ethernet 802.3 is a standard and Ethernet and then 802.11 is a standard, there are so many different flavors of it. By having their own, they can control and manage the entire portion of it. Whereas, you know, this sounds like a dumb thing, but wirelessly, I can't get my Apple TV to work because for some reason, my wireless access point does not send Apple TV protocol. If I plug it in and run it wired, works perfectly. So I'm just running it wired. Easy, simple, done. Well, can you imagine if you're Crestron having to support all these different people and having people with Linksys, D-Link, Cisco, well, HP. Yeah, I definitely get that piece of it. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand that piece so of it. So from that standpoint, I see it. From the, could they just make it ride on top of an Ethernet network and get all the benefits of coattailing off the IT industry? 
oh yeah, I think that they should have done that instead and just made it mm-hmm. more Ethernet. But I think they more went for the plug and play. You our stuff talks to our stuff, and we can troubleshoot it all together. Right. Well, so, but yeah, I agree. They shouldn't have invented their own. But I understand why they did. <laughs> why they didn't why. Oh my oh, goodness! All right, well enough beating up on Crestron. Uh, uh, from Cindy Davis and Commercial Integrator, Lutron approves a large list of LED bulbs for dimming. Yay, dimming LEDs! Uh, no, well, I, notice it's only with their specific CL collection of dimmers. Well, actually, that's kind of why I, I went from the Crestron one to this one, and and I wanted to bring in Mark and and, and Michael on this as manufacturers. And, and y- yes, you're right; it's only with their with their dimmers, and that's. So that's smart on one hand, because then you can control everything end to end. Uh, we beat people up for doing that, and then we give Apple a pass because they're brilliant, right? Because uh, they they control the process from end to end. No, I don't give them a pass. I'm just willing to. De- I think they've done it better than most people. But here's the thing: they're they're both both on the Crestron story and on the, on the Lutron story. They're cr- they're trying to Appleify their their products, where they're trying to do it end-to-end as, as efficiently and, and as possible. Um, and so, Mark, on, on your side, you guys have our, our big HDBHT. That is what you do, um, both you know, transmitters and, and receivers. So in, in adopting the HDBHT uh, protocol, you guys have a say, at least I'm assuming that, um, in how that is developing. So when it comes to... Uh, the 2.0 that we that we talked about last week on the show, um, you guys are in uh, in a I almost said consortium, but not yeah consortium I guess is the best word to put it with other manufacturers. So you guys have to make sure that all your stuff works together. Right, right. So, yeah, uh, you know I really don't have too much to comment here except you know the I've been doing this long enough to know that the, the security question always ends up coming up. So I mean we continue to try to be compatible with and control whomever's device, but uh, going back to the wireless story, uh, eventually uh, you're going to be standing in front of an end user and they're going to ask about, in the commercial space, they're going to ask mm-hmm. about security. And uh, so. Well, and, and Michael, that's a, that's a good point for you because having, you know, secure, smart commercial displays is is somewhat of a concern because when you start doing things like uh, digital signage in public places and and you know smart ads and things of that nature that's a concern for people not hacking your systems absolutely um, you know I just want to say I'm not sure why Samsung's LED light bulbs didn't make it through their um, <laughs> approval process or if they even uh, put us into the, the ringer. I might have to go and talk to our guys in the home appliance division to see how we were overlooked here. Um, yeah. I don't either. We'll have to, we'll have to give Lutron a, a call. So. <laughs> poor Lutron. Uh, no, Brad, poor Samsung. They're the ones that got left out here. Well, that is true, but, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Brad, Bradford... Uh, no, seriously. I, 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 that's fine. I, I know. I'm just kidding. Uh, Bradford, is this is this an exciting development, or um, am I just talking about it because it's Lutron and LED? Uh, I think it's an exciting development, but I think it's uh, a little disappointing development by the fact that there's. First, I was a little surprised that there are 249 dimmable LEDs and CFLs 
of bulbs. I didn't know there were that many different kinds. But the fact that now I have to go match my two sets, my in-wall dimmer and my and my bulb, to me, is a little disappointing. Uh, I think it's it's a step in the right direction. I think it's solving the problem of why CFLs and LEDs have not been as well adopted uh, as they could be. I think it's sol- it solves the problem if you don't have to put in a control system called Matt Scott just so you can dim your lights in your house anymore. So I think it, it does solve a lot of those things. Uh, but I'm a little disappointed. You know, we make light of the fact that there aren't Samsung bulbs in there. But now I have to go and go, okay, what what lamp works with what dimmer? You know, if I was to say this amplifier only works with that loudspeaker or one of the approved loudspeakers, everyone would go, what? You're crazy. Why is it that way? But that's basically what we're doing with the with the dimmer and the fluorescence and LEDs. So I'm I think it's a good move. I'm just a little disappointed. It's not more widespread. But but is it a good? Is it really? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. I mean, I'm just wondering with, you know, again, you're mentioning that there's 249 different bulbs out there. Perhaps, you know, and I, I did joke that, you know, I think Samsung has three LED light bulbs to choose from. Yeah. Uh, perhaps they're in that 249. Maybe they're not since they don't mention them. But maybe their attempt here is just that. And pretty much any dimmable LED or CFL you'll imagine is supported by our dimmers and trying to bring relevance to the fact that they support almost anything you grab off the shelf out there. And maybe I'm just the fact that they called out 249 is kind of what surprised me. And according yeah. to their website or their PD or their PDF on their website, uh, they do support the Samsung bulbs. Well, they go. Oh, nice. nice. The Google comes through. I have choices. <laughs> the Google comes through. Well, you know, I think that's the important thing here, though. You know, in promoting the technology is making sure that the consumer has options. You know, you think about the fact they want to go down to the local, you know, big box store, department store, whatever the case is, and purchase their light bulbs. They don't want to have to special order them. The the consumer gets confused just trying to match up the right size socket hole for their light bulb, let alone the right size battery for their device. And then, okay, here's another point of complication. Uh, What base type do I need? What dimmer type do I need? So I I think this is a move the right direction and trying to come up with some sort of standard by which this can be uh, dealt with. And like I said, it might be that they cover a wide spectrum of them, and 250 does cover the vast majority mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. Mm, very good. But I do think mood lighting is important, so I do think <laughs> dimmers are good. You need mood lighting for your 3D OLED experience. Yes, because I can't have direct light when I'm looking at my 3D or drinking my coffee. Well, in, and speaking of lighting, uh, Savant is getting into the uh, – is using the Internet of Things, which is one of their things. Uh, for home uh, automation and lighting control. Uh, and this is not where you have to, this is not like an add-on to one of their systems. This is something you can buy completely separately. Um, they start around $200. They can go up to 400 bucks, uh, depending on how many loads you want to do. So is it the fact that, and Michael Drainer, we'll start with you on this, the fact that Savant is getting deeper and deeper into residential and using... Um, uh, the internet and using you know uh, uh, the network more and more, um, a sign of I don't know, and I'm not going to say a, a bad sign for AMX and Crestron because they're they're two still you know relevant companies, but the fact that these guys are doing you know control without really 
um, a control processor. Well, but you're seeing it now. I mean, you you can go to the local Lowe's or Home Depot, and there's various devices out there that are web enabled. They're mm-hmm. Internet of Things, if you will, mm-hmm. ready, where I can use my app, as we've been discussing in previous shows, yeah. right, to control various devices in my home. So I don't think it necessarily takes away the relevance of the other companies that, that um, have been aforementioned, but it's it's more question of is Savant really making a move in the marketplace to become more of the DIYer's choice for mm-hmm. home-deployed um control and automation systems and then take that to the next level to the small corporate small business smb space small boardroom type places you're always going to have the big systems in the big venues you you have to because of the scalability the small systems can't scale to that point however i think these guys are making a lot of headway and and really blazing some trails in leveraging the infrastructure that we've been talking about that's already in place to help deploy safe sound solutions to deliver a, a desired end result, an experience, if you will. But I was going to say, I think Tim might be a little incorrect there. I thought that Savant also had like a rack mount host that runs Linux to do the larger, the larger automation stuff. So it wasn't just no, they, no, they do. But I was talking about the specifically the lighting. You don't the lighting's a standalone. Okay. The lighting. Yeah, sorry, yeah. got right. confused. That's yeah. right. No, that's that's, okay. And that that was the one thing that I I I thought was kind of interesting was the fact that you don't have to have an already existing automation system or one associated with this. Right. Is the fact that this is just, you know, you throw this in there and you... Well, it goes, it goes back to what we were discussing the other day. I think, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but Samsung, don't you guys have an app for a lot of your displays now to control the displays directly? Uh, yes. Well, again, from the consumer side, we absolutely... I'm sorry, commercial side, we absolutely do. Um, it's a, you know, it's, a, it's called the multi-display control. And as long as the displays are connected, either to a host over RS-232 or RJ45 to get it over Ethernet, uh, you can fully take control of the display from a program running on your laptop. Right. So, so again, there's another example of a manufacturer who's leveraging existing infrastructure, right? So, yeah, there, there is a middle device there, but I'm sure it probably doesn't take a whole lot to deploy that, does it? I mean, you know, what we're talking about with this Savant platform is literally plug it into the jack to your Ethernet connection or bring it up on your Wi-Fi and boom, there's my app. I register it to their website and I'm up and going. Yeah. I just think it's exciting to to push home automation further down into the general consumer space. Um, you know, when uh, there was a point in my uh, in my in my past when I was selling industrial automation electronics to control complex machinery, and I thought, theorized how I could use it to control my home theater. And this was in nineteen. Uh, this is about two thousand and one. So no more ladder and logic, I, right? And had no idea that Crestron or AMX existed because I had no exposure to it. Yeah. And uh, and then it changed my career. I became a, a Crestron. Uh, I went to work for an AV residential integrator and was designing and selling systems because I thought it was the coolest thing going. And to now have these types of solutions coming more and more into the general consumer space, I think it's great. Mm-hmm. I think it's the type of things we always dreamed of would be in the future, you know, like walk into a room and say lights. And I think just the fact that these types of solutions are coming down is just kind of exciting for where the future will be with what we could do uh, on our own. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right, guys. Uh, one more story. Actually, it's not even a story. It's more of a, hey, this is kind of cool. Uh, Infocom. A couple years ago, they started uh, Infocom GovCom. Actually, GovCom 11 was the first one. The reason I remember it is because it's one of the stories where I have to go back and eat some crow. Because <laughs> I, I questioned it. I said... 
Why are they doing a government-focused uh, trade show? Okay, yeah. let's go to GovCom. Yay. And uh, our good friend, A.B. Dawn, Dawn Mead, went. And uh, actually, I think she's been the, the, the last two years. And she loves it. She raves about it. There are things there that you're just not going to see at Infocom or at CES or at Cedia or any other, other place because it is a government-focused um, show. So I say all that, eat some crow, and say this. GovCom in, uh, registration is now open. If you go to Infocom's website, uh, we'll also put a link on ours as well. Uh, GovCom 13 is December 4th and 5th at the Walter E. Washington Convention Center in Washington, D.C. Uh, check it out. It, it, if you're in any way, shape, or form in uh, you know, de defense or government contracting, if you're an exhibitor, Mark and, and, uh, and Michael, you guys might want to go. Bradford, do you go to GovCom? Uh we go to a couple shows. I'm not sure if we're going to this one. I'm going to an airport show if you want to talk about a niche show. Okay. Which one is that? There's a Airport Council International North America. It's another one of those. It's a niche show that you go, why do we need another one? But it's all about airports. Is there one for uh, for amusement parks? Yes, there is. Uh, IAPA. I what? Uh, International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions. IAPA. It's in November, typically, and it's typically in Orlando. Of course it is. <laughs> and it, right. it's a lot Where of else would it be? <laughs> it, it, I was there last year. I've been there many times. It's, it's one of these things where it's kind of interesting because they literally will set up entire roller coasters on the show floor. You yeah. get to play in the big bounce houses, stuff like that. It's, it's interesting. And same thing with the airport show. And to some degree, I'm pretty sure GovCom, which also has its own site at govcomshow.org. Yes, thank you. Uh has some of these things where there's just so specially focused there's stuff you don't think of you know on there that they do like at the trade park show you know they're selling everything from the wristbands to get on to million dollar roller coasters and then at the airport show they're sh sh showing everything from the baggage carousel which the guy wouldn't let me ride i thought that was gonna be a good ride because <laughs> you, you were at the wrong show there i was at the wrong show apparently to, you know, literally the tugs that pull the planes to the boarding equipment and everything in between. Is that all? So, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to ask if, if that's all a, a roller coaster cost was, was a million dollars. Well, it depends on how big of a roller coaster you want. Believe it or not, you can actually go to places and buy roller coasters out of catalogs now. It's just like ordering, you know, a popcorn machine. I would like <laughs> this roller coaster, but I want it in his blue. Okay. Wait, would you would you add a little butter and salt to that for me, please? Wow. It was it was kind of surreal, but then you realize it of all these places, like you know, you get the kitty coasters at the local golf course place, the mini putt putt, and then you know they got the big theme parks and everything in between. It's. Uh, I guess they've had to buy them from somewhere. Okay, uh, we've we've learned something new today, guys. You can buy. Well, did you see the guy on YouTube that built one out of PVC pipe? No. I yeah, don't, ser I don't seriously, no, seriously. He put his little girl in it, and he shoves yeah. it up the top with a broomstick instead of a chain. Yes. He pushes it up with a broomstick, and it hits the top, and it goes around this little thing, a sharp bank, and then around. And, yeah, it was yeah. all it was all PVC pipe. Because that's Homemade. safe. Audio guy or video guy? Yeah, yeah. What kind of AV geek was he? <laughs> right, exactly. There's more than one if you go to the Google. Is it really? Jeez. I'll have to check that out. Homemade, yeah. Type in uh, what? T type in homemade you roller coaster this week. You can't, you can't you do you can't do Google anymore because you saw in USA Today the uh, what was it yesterday? Yeah. They said that uh, Yahoo now tops U.S. search really traffic. Yeah. So that means Bing does. Yeah. 
because so that Yahoo means I have is... to start using the Yahoo yeah. instead. Wow. I'm just waiting for their new logo. Can we have a show about their new logo? No, absolutely not. I feel bad for your new guests, for Mark and, and Michael. They haven't gotten anything exciting in. Well, they're they're going to they're gonna they're gonna pr- uh, promote their websites here real quick, uh, guys. That's gonna do it for us. Mark Zekin, uh, he's from Wirestorm. He is the North uh, the uh, National Sales Manager for ProAV. Thank you, sir. You're very welcome. And where can people find you or Wirestorm? www.wirestorm.com. W Y R E Storm.com. I was hoping you'd spell that. Um, also <laughs> with us is Michael Halloran. Michael is uh, the product ma- market manager for large displays for Samsung. Thank you so much, sir. Oh, my pleasure. And where can people find you or uh, or Samsung? That's a, that sounds like a <clears> silly well, question, by the way. Samsung.com slash business. And if you cruise through the digital signage solutions, that's uh, that's my wheelhouse. Very good. Very good. Large displays, the big ones, the ones we like. Uh, Bradford Ben, he works for Harman. Uh, his title this week is Business Developer of Electronic Systems. Thank you, sir. My pleasure, as always. And where can people find you or your fine podcast or, or, or other things? Well, I still have to finish the pot, the Bradford and Matt show podcast editing with uh, Tim Albright, a special guest host. <laughs> uh, but that would either be at the Bradford and Matt show dot com, at BradfordBen.com. Twitter is Bradford Ben. Uh, Google is Bradford Ben. Facebook is Bradford Ben. Uh, work is Harmon.com, and I'm Bradford.ben at Harmon.com. Do, do you see a pattern there? I see. I see that you're an early adopter, is what I see. <laughs> um, I got. I'm I got, single-handedly keeping Google Plus going. Yeah, you and you and me both. I got TD Albright on Facebook. I was pretty happy about that, and on on uh, Twitter. Oh, nice, so, yeah. nice. Mr. Drainer, uh, Michael Drainer. He is the. Uh, I always get this wrong. The uh, Sennheiser Area Sales Manager for Integrated Systems. Thank you, sir. You're very welcome. And people find you or Sennheiser? SennheiserUSA.com. You can also find me on Twitter, Michael Drainer, on uh, Twitter as well as MichaelDrainer.com. Also on AVNation.tv. That's my line. But I'm there. Yeah, you are. Um, yeah, so if you want, uh, go to the website. That's where you'll find uh, this show and others. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and, and the Google Pluses as well. Uh, but yeah, I started though at the website, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. That's all the time we have for AV Week. 